the final battle between the Lord and the reign of Satan will be about marriage and the family. John Connor, kick it off. We've been fighting a long time. We've all lost so very much. So many loved ones gone. But you are not alone. There are pockets of resistance all around the planet. We are at the brink. You have no idea how important you are. If you're listening to this, you are the resistance. Ave Maricela. Everybody, stay with Sons Fidelium. Coming at you with Father Altier of the author of the book, and I just put it down in the screen, God's Plan for Your Marriage. Father, good morning. Well, good afternoon, wherever, whenever you are. How are you doing? And welcome. I'm doing well. Thank you, Steve. How are you doing today? I can't complain. I was like, what that Sheen video or speech of half the people uh, don't care and half the people like the yeah prompt. So, oh, there you go. <laughs> I would say can't complain, doesn't do any good anyway. Exactly. So, no one wants to listen. <laughs> so why, I, the obvious softball question to start, what got you in this mindset to come up with this book, uh, God's Plan for Your Marriage? Well, the actual truth is that I had no intention of writing a book about anything. Um, but back in uh, in February of 2019, I was awakened in the middle of the night one day, and nothing like this has ever happened before or since. And essentially was told, here's what to do for couples preparing for marriage. Well, I've been preparing couples for marriage for 30 years at that point. I wasn't thinking about what to do for couples preparing for marriage. I said, okay, and went back to sleep. The next morning I got up and sat down for prayer and my mind was just flooded with these beautiful ideas about marriage, which I wasn't thinking about at all. Usually prayer is very quiet. And, uh, and every day for the rest of the month, and I couldn't tell you when it started, first week, second week, whatever of, of February, and until with three exceptions in between, until the 28th of the month, every single day was this, was this same kind of thing. I just I would get these beautiful images or thoughts about marriage that I've never thought about before in my entire life. And the first time that it happened, I actually said, Lord, I'm sorry, but I have to write this down or I know myself well enough. I'll spend the entire time of prayer thinking about this because it's so beautiful. And so I wrote it down. No sooner had I put the pen down and the next thought was in my head. And I would write that down. And then the same thing. This happened day after day after day. The 28th of February came. Boom, that was the end of it. And, and, and then by that point, I had 16 pages of single-space notes. And I said, well, what am I supposed to do with this? This is way too much to go over with a couple in, in pre-marriage. And, and the answer seemed quite clear that write a book. So that's what I did. The way that I look at it is... It's like if you were in a class and the teacher said, well, you, you need to write this paper. Here's the general theme of the paper, but make sure you hit these following points when, when you write it. And so 
all I had to do was set it up, you know, provide a context, provide some explanation, whatever it might be. But otherwise, all the main points were there, most of which, like I said, I've never thought of in my life. I think they're absolutely beautiful. And quite honestly, I think that and I'm the only one who would have to believe this because I'm the one it happened to. But I believe that this is heaven's response to the crisis in marriage today. Uh, it's, it's God letting us know here is the spiritual part of the marriage that, that underlies uh, the rest of it. And, and, you know, when our Lord talked about, you know, building the house, you can build it on sand or you can build it on rock. But when the wind, winds come and the rains come and, and the floods and so on, the one that's built on sand, it knocks it down. The one that's built on the rock, it stays. Well, we're living in a time where the winds are coming against marriage. The floods are coming against marriage, and consequently now we're at a time where we have to make sure that foundation is solid. And that's, I think, what, what this book is doing, is providing for people to understand the spiritual foundation for their marriage so that everything else builds upon that. And one of the sentences you wrote in there was talking about how people came in for, I guess, pre-Cana and talked about, why you get that? Why are you getting married? You would ask them. And, well, we love each other. And you would say, uh, mm -hmm. what does that mean? <laughs> it's, it's, it's like, an, as you bring up, and correctly so, it's an emotion. It comes and goes with a tie. Uh, I, I was, I read like six books, uh, chapters, not six books total a day, but six, at my ADD. And uh, one of them is uh, uh, the communist book that Fulton Sheen came out. And I was seeing the holy face image behind you. It made me think of this. Uh, he writes in this thing about the, the attitude towards the family in Russia and America. Engels took love out of the will and put it into the glands and then argued that only a union uh, based on love is moral. Hence, the union should last only as long as love lasts. When this mm -hmm. love ceases to exist or when it is succeeded by a new passion, divorce becomes a benefit. And he brings up the glass of water theory when uh, they said that the uh, love is a glass of water one swallows to satisfy that thirst. You drink the water and forget the glass. So you enjoy the pleasure and forget the person. And you see that in a hundred years later, almost. So that yeah, was here we are. Uh, we're we pr pretty much a society that embraces that, right? We are. I mean, it's if we if we look at it. I mean, as you know, I mean, the some of these these things that the communists have been pushing. That's what they're teaching our kids in the schools, and and so that's become a huge huge problem. The selfishness in our society, which obviously is the exact opposite of what love is. And that's even with what you were just reading, that's where the problem comes. It's, you know, when we've, we've redefined what love is. And so in that redefinition, love is an emotion and it's something about me. It's, it's my pleasure, my fun, my excitement, whatever it is. And when things aren't so fun and exciting and pleasurable anymore, well, then I don't want this. But love is about the other person, not about the self. Love is about serving. Love is about giving. And granted, you receive from the other because love is a relationship. And but but that's that's where the root of the problem is right now. Is that in America we've forgotten what love is, and and that has to be part of the foundation here. And so now marriage is under attack, in part because people didn't have that foundation, and in part because the devil knows this is the foundation for the church and for society. If he can attack marriage, 
then he can break down the church and the society simultaneously, and he's doing quite a fine job of it. But, you know, the other part of that, when you look at it from the church's perspective, you know, over the centuries, marriage has been stable. People grew up in families, they grew up with, with, with marriage, and they, they get married and they continue to, to live that and pass that on. Well, all of a sudden, as long as I've been alive, they keep coming up with new ideas and, and here's, here's what you should do and, and, and so on. And it's just really pulled the fibers out from underneath what marriage is. And what's happening now in the church that's different from what we've had before, the part that's the same is God will always come to the aid of whatever area is being attacked. So over the centuries, we've had you know, the priesthood or the Eucharist or, you know, Our Lady or whatever it might be that, that's being attacked at, at any particular time. And then theologians are raised up to be able to, to present things and the church presents new teachings and, and there's a deepening that happens. Well, there's actually not a lot that has been written about marriage officially because marriage has always been stable. Now it's under attack. Now we're going to be seeing, and we are seeing a lot being written about marriage. And what we do have for the first time in the history of the church is a phenomenon of lay theologians, and actually both male and female, because marriage, of course, is a male and a female. And, and so they're taking it from two different perspectives, and they can talk about, about their, their sacrament, and they can write about it. And, and a priest, obviously, a priest theologians, they can't do that from a practical perspective. And, and so what's different then about this book is that it's not about the practicalities of marriage. It's not a how-to book. That's not what it's about. It's, it's about the spiritual foundation. And that's something that perhaps for people who are married, because they're looking at the whole question of marriage from so close, because they're living it, that it's maybe sometimes it's a little more difficult to see that spiritual foundation. So God gave this instead to a priest and said, okay, let's, let's present the spiritual foundation. Then the lay theologians can pick this up and run with it. That's my hope for it anyway, on that level. But in the meantime, I think it will be of tremendous benefit uh, for, for married people, because again, it's your sacrament that's under attack. And what are you doing to defend your family, to, to protect your marriage, to strengthen it, to build it up? And in marriage, you can look at it and say, well, gee, there are, there are these four areas. There's the relational area, there's the communication, there's the, the sexual area, but there's the foundation, which is spiritual. And if that foundation isn't solid, you use the example that I talked about earlier of the house, well, you can put a new new shingles on the roof and you can put new siding on, but if your foundation is, is rotted, the whole house is gonna fall down anyway. So we want to shore up the foundation. We want to make sure that that's in solid and in place. And that is what I think this book is, is doing. And, and so from my perspective, like I said, I, I really believe this is heaven's response to the crisis in marriage. And so I, I'll be the first to say, I look at it as Our Lady's book, not mine. Um, and it was simply given to me. That's why it's exciting for me to be able to talk about it because it's not talking about my ideas because the main ideas in there aren't mine. So 
if any of the good ideas, give it to her. If any bad ideas, uh, take it. <laughs> send the hate mail to you. <laughs> well, yeah, that's it. I always say anything good, God gets the credit. Anything that's not good, I get the credit. So yeah, I can send the hate mail to me. That's fine. <laughs> no, but good. I mean, I mean, I look at it also. Take a, like a sports analogy. Uh, coaches might be somebody that might not be able to play the game, but they can teach the game. Mm -hmm. uh, so as a priest, you hear a lot of people coming in with complaints. Uh, problems of their own family. So you get that uh, exponential level. And then, as you mentioned, you know, layman, I could go to a friend of mine and say, hey, I'm spirit. we could talk to each other and help fix each other up like teammates. Mm -hmm. Whereas a coach, you're getting all this info coming in. And as you mentioned, the foundation, the spiritual part is needed at an exponential level, basically. That's mm -hmm. the foundation. If we don't get that right, I could talk to my teammates all night long. And it's just going to, as you mentioned, a house built on sand type deal. So yeah, good a collar, and you hear that a lot. Was a collar? Was a priest know about this? Well, you know pretty, pretty a lot about what it is. Even if you're not playing the game, you know a lot. Mm -hmm. Well, and the fact is, as priests, we grew up in families. You know, I have I have seven siblings, and 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 my parents lived there their vocation, and so yeah, I have that. But but then we have the theology that that and the philosophy that that underlies things. So that's again why I said this this isn't a practical how-to kind of book, because not being married, I'm not going to try to write a how-to-be-married book, but it's a spiritual book. It is about the spiritual foundation, and that's what a priest would be able to, to address, and that's that's what I'm trying to do here, is to to simply address the part that that, that I can, can do. There, there are some practical things in there. I mean, I've got 33 years of working with couples, and hearing confessions and so on. So so there are some practical things in there, but it's primarily about, about the spiritual part. I always like this. I don't know if you know St. Timothy and Mora, uh, but I heard a sermon on this years ago, and what happened was they were trying to get her to divorce. They just got married, divorce him. They were crucifying him, and the emperor was giving her all kinds of ideas. You know, I'll do this for you. I'll do this for you. She basically... Uh, Rejected him at first, the uh, her husband, and then apologized. This is the photo of her apologizing to him. And they ended up crucifying her on the other side of the cross. Mm. So in a sense, marriage is that that idea of, all right, as, you know, St. Paul talks about it, you know, take up that cross. You know, in marriage, you're nailed to that cross on each side. And it's both your, as you mentioned before, you're on that cross. And most people don't look at marriage as a cross. It's almost like a Disney version of Oh, I'm getting married now. We're going to go, you know, live happily ever after in this, you know, white picket fence. And there's going to be no problems. We're never going to argue. And uh, that the world tells us that it's a fairy tale land, right? Well, it's it's a total fairy tale. But you know, my my hope for married couples is that they truly will live happily ever after, which means to get to heaven. Yes. And and marriage is about becoming saints. Uh, it's it's perfectly set up to make people into saints. Oftentimes people look at marriage as like a second or third class way of life. If you can't cut it as a priest or a nun, well, become married. It's like, no, that's not true at all. Marriage is a vocation. And on top of that, marriage is a sacrament. That's how holy this state in life is. And, and so it is, and the, and the other side of that, I mean, the, the, you know, what the story you were just telling is so beautiful because people tend to think of marriage as a 50-50 prospect. It is not. Marriage is a 100-100 prospect. 
And so it is to die to self in order to live for the other. And when St. Paul in his letter to the Ephesians talks about marriage and then says, I'm talking about Christ and the church. Well, where is Christ's marriage to the church consummated? On the cross. And so if marriage is to be like Christ and the church, it's the cross. And, and that doesn't mean that it's always going to be painful because the cross is the means of our salvation. The cross is a perfect act of love. And so that's what marriage is. It's two people who have made a vow to love one another. And, and some days that's a very painful, difficult thing. Some days it's a very beautiful, wonderful thing. But the goal is to perfect that love so that you truly can live happily ever after, meaning you both get to heaven, you're both members of the bride of Christ, you're both united with, with our Lord as the bridegroom for the rest of eternity, and it will be perfect joy forever if we can get there. Keep saying that L, that L word. Tell the, tell the viewers what love actually is. <laughs> <laughs> well, my favorite definition of love is doing always what's best for the other. So again, it's the opposite of selfishness. It's the opposite of using somebody. So love is to serve. And that's, remember our Lord said, I didn't come into this world to be served, but to serve and to, to give my life as a ransom for the many. And, and so that's, that's what love is about. It is, it is dying to self and living for the other and, and putting the other one above yourself. You know, that's again, what St. Paul tells us to, to look at others as being greater than us. And, and if, that's, if that's what we can do, then we can look at it and say, okay, I want to serve this person. The problem that we sometimes have as Americans when we think of that is we think of the, the, the tragedy of slavery as, as it was. And that's not what we're talking about here. This is a freely chosen service. It is a service of love. I will serve you for the rest of my life. And, and that's, that's, that's what love really is. It's, it's taking up the cross. It's dying to self, it's, it's living for the other, it's putting the other first. But remember, when we talk about love, there are, there are four elements of love. So it is, first of all, benevolent. Secondly, it is reciprocal. That re benevolent re reciprocity brings about a communion, and it's all based on a fundamental similarity. But So the point here, benevolence is goodwill. So it's looking out for the good of the other, but it's reciprocal. It is two people looking out for the good of the other. So when you get married, you literally give yourself away 100%. There's nothing left to take back. I've given myself completely to you, but you've given yourself completely to me. I have received your gift of self to me 100%, which means there's nothing left that I can reject. You've given it all, I have received it all. I've given it all to you, you've received 100%. You take on the responsibility of the other in that sense. You take on the identity of the other in that way. And, and so if we can see it that way, it's like, okay, when St. Paul says, if anyone loves his wife, he's loving himself, that's the proper sense. Not a, not a narcissistic, selfish love, but being able to say, I'm, I'm living for you. I'm serving you. I'm going to put you ahead of myself. It's not about me. It's about you knowing that your spouse is looking at you 
and saying the same thing. It's not about me, it's about you. Two people serving, two people giving, two people receiving. And so, so love, again, is doing what's best for the other, which is the opposite, again, of what our society is saying, where it's all about me. And, and we live in the most selfish society in the history of humanity, and that has made love very, very difficult for people. And so to, to realize, when we look at it, the selfishness has brought misery. The selfishness has brought emptiness. If you want to find fulfillment, you have to do what God created you to do. He made you in his image and likeness. He made you for truth. He made you for love. He made you for life. And that's what your soul is. Your soul is the principle of life. It has two faculties, the mind and the will. The mind is for the truth. The will is for love. The, the, the soul is the principle of life. So made in the image and likeness of God, who is love, life, and truth, you are made for love, life, and truth. So the only way you're going to be fulfilled is through love and loving in truth. And, and that's, that's, if you want the joy, not happiness per se, happiness is an emotion. Your favorite ball team wins a game, you're happy and they lose, they're unhappy. No, we want joy. It stays the same no matter what happens. That the peace of the Lord, that comes with the charity. When we're truly loving as God created us to love, that's where we're gonna find the fulfillment, that's where we're going to find the peace. That's where we're going to find the joy. So that can be a challenge initially because it's 180 degrees different from what we think about. And as you talked about that little example, you know, why do you want to get married? Because oh, we're in love. And what does that mean? Well, it's the warm feeling we have when we're together. It's like, no, 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 no. That's not what love is. And, and so that's the beauty again of marriage. You have an opportunity to really, truly learn how to love, how to die to self, how to put the other first, how to do all these things. It is so profound and so beautiful what God has done and what he's called married people to, but because of original sin, because of our own sins, it makes it very difficult, but that's why it's a sacrament. You have the grace to be able to do it. God isn't just throwing out there and saying, well, good luck, you know, try and figure it out. No, he's there with you. And he's providing the grace for you to do this. So if you can pray and you can, you can bring these things back to prayer and work them through to be able to see how could I handle that situation better? What could I do for my spouse? How can I love this person more? And which means how do I serve them more? And not just what do I, what do they want or because that's, you know, love again is doing what's best, not what's easiest, not what's most convenient doing what is best. And so that's the question that you can look at in prayer. And as you look at that in prayer, then you can come to that conclusion then finally of how do I give myself to this person in the way that is the best in each and every circumstance. And that's where you're gonna find the fulfillment and the peace and the joy that you're really looking for. Yeah, I remember hearing uh, Von Hildebrand talk about his, uh, his wife, didn't like uh, soap suds on the soap and she was upset and something a little thing like that he would clean the soap after he used it and it, it that was just a little thing that ticked her off in a sense a little thing make make it kind of like little, uh, the little flowers idea of the small things equal mm -hmm. out big things there's you mentioned uh 
Christ wouldn't just be like asleep. The little holy card of uh, Christ asleep on the boat. Or the, the gospel went about the, the rough seas. He's asleep. He's mm -hmm. still there. We need to be able to, kind of like when you pray for pa uh, patience, right? Uh, it's just not going to come over like, hey, it's a Coke machine. We put a quarter in, we get it. He's going to make us learn how to be patient. And as St. Paul going to give you opportunities to practice it. Right. And say that whole litany of St. Paul saying, love is patient, love is kind. Exactly. What are, what are some ways that people can, I mean, married couples sitting at home, they might think, hey, we're doing great. I mean, I'm not Elizabeth Lesur having an atheistic husband who hates the faith and I have to suffer 20, 20 or 30 years to win my husband back. What do we say to those like that? Is it more like uh, you better, you know, stay on top of the game or uh, how to improve always moving forward, uh, especially in the religious standpoint coming from a priest? What are some ways that they can make their marriage better? Well, first and foremost is prayer. Um, you know, it, the Lord has to be at the center. What, what happened on the day you got married, in, in essence, you asked the Lord not only to put you together, but to be at the center of your marriage. So if he truly is at the center of your marriage, then things are going to be, be working through. Now, one of the things that happens with a lot of married couples is they just want to maintain the status quo. Don't rock the boat. You know, and and if you want your marriage to grow and to develop, you need to rock the boat a little bit, meaning simply that not to cause trouble, but to continue to grow, which means not so much change, but develop, to continue to develop the love, to make it go further, which means to be more vulnerable. And that's where we tend to get afraid. So if we can bring these things to prayer, and we can keep looking at the question of how can I love my spouse more? And what does that mean as we learn to love our Lord more? And then we can apply that. And, and so to, to, to look at it again, the, the, as you consider the book, you know, the first couple of, of chapters are foundational. They're, they're dealing with our dignity, with what God did in the, in the Garden of Eden, creating us in his own image and likeness, and the call to love. The third chapter, though, presents the most important point in the book, the central point, the question is, what did God join? You know, on remember when Jesus talks about marriage, when when in, in the Gospels of St. Matthew and St. Mark, you know, they, they come to him and ask him, can a man divorce his wife for any reason? And he says, no. He said, well, then why did Moses give us this? And he said, this was not God's intention from the beginning. That's why we need to go back to Genesis. But then from Genesis, he says, okay, the man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, the two become one flesh. Then he adds a line. And this line is only in this point in scripture. It is nowhere else in the entire Bible. And Jesus said, what God has joined, let no man put asunder. So the question is, what did God join? when we're talking about marriage, because right immediately before that, he says the two become one flesh. So are we talking about the two united in, in, in the marital embrace? And the answer is no. And the reason I say that is because when you look at that question, what did God join? It's the souls. God created your souls and God puts your souls together now when you get married. And so there is a new creation that happens. There is a miracle that, of sorts that happens. 
and the two become one. And that spiritual union then is expressed physically in and through the body. So the physical union is an expression of the spiritual union. So again, if you can bring these things to prayer, you can study a bit to be able to learn more about what this really means. How do we put that into practice in our marriage? What would that entail? That's what a couple can do because again, we can continually grow. The beauty of, of love is that it never remains the same. So as long as you are alive, you can continue to grow in love. And love either goes forward or backward. It either increases or decreases. You never love the same. And so the goal of married life, because of that vow that is made, is to love this person more every day. And again, that doesn't mean have more gushy feelings for the person. It means to have that person more as the center of your service and to love the Lord in that person and to love the person in the Lord. So, so that's, that's the, the, whole, the whole point of it is that the marriage, the love needs to continue to grow. So if you have a good marriage, praise God for that, but don't rest on your laurels and don't just sit back and say it's good enough because the Lord doesn't want it just to be good enough. He wants it to be as good as it possibly can be. And he wants the best for you because he loves you. So he wants only what is best for you. That's to love as much as you are able to love and to be loved as much as you are able to be loved. And that again, that's what heaven is going to be. Marriage is a prefiguration of heaven. So if that's the case, then a couple really needs to look at that and say, how can we in our relationship become closer to what heaven is going to be, to be prepared so that, that when we die, we can go straight to heaven because we have learned to love perfectly. And, and so, so again, if you have a good marriage, praise God. But for the people who struggle in their marriage, the ones like you were talking about who, you know, they've got a, a pagan for a spouse or, or even worse, yeah, that person is making them a saint. They have to be a saint just to live with that person. But in the case of a good marriage, you help one another to become saints by building one another up, by helping one another to love more, by being more receptive to the love of the other, and, and looking at more and more ways, or different ways, however you want to put it, to serve this person. Even as you said, you know, quoting St. Therese, to do the ordinary things with extraordinary love. And, and so no matter what it is that you're doing within your marriage, it can be done with greater and greater charity. And, and that's, that's the way that the love is going to grow. That's then the way that your marriage is going to continue to move forward and develop. When you were saying that, maybe think of how many people go to the gym to make their bodies better and every day, even if they're in good shape, they keep pushing to improve or sports. Uh, you keep practicing to become the best in your field. Work, you put all your effort into work to get a promotion and you keep going because if you take off your take off the gas a little bit, you might get demoted or fired or anything like mm -hmm. this. So in the secular world, we're always focused on exactly what you said, but in the even spiritual family it's almost like familiar, familiarity breeds contempt in a sense, or eh, we're just okay. We're, we're good. We'll just guide through. We don't mm -hmm. think about having to put it at that level with everything else. Well, that's the thing, especially if people 
they're, they're going out to work and, and, and they're, they're pushing themselves, exhausting themselves. They want to come home and, and have a place where it's comfortable. They want to come home and have a place that's their refuge. And the idea that, wait a minute, when I come home, I still have to continue to give. I still have to continue to, to, to work at this. And the answer is yes, that's exactly what we need to do. Uh, again, as we were talking about earlier with virtue, the only way virtue grows is to practice it. And the saints tell us, in fact, that in order to grow in virtue, you have to use 100% of the virtue that you have already developed. And just like your, your example of going to the gym, you know, if you want to get stronger, if you want to look like an Arnold Schwarzenegger, you can't just put 100 pounds on the bar and keep lifting it. You have to keep adding to it. And, and so that's the way that, that virtue grows. The word virtue means strength. So the only way strength grows is to use all the strength you have to do even more. If you want to run a marathon, well, you might have to start by running a block or two, and then you keep pushing it out, you know, and then pretty soon you're running one mile, and then it's a, it's a mile and a half, and then two, and then three. You keep getting stronger and stronger. Well, in this case, you want to love. That's uh, So if you look at marriage as a marathon, you start out, you can love a little bit. You know, this couple thinks that they're so in love on the day that they get married. I oftentimes tell them the day you get married requires about this much love because there's so much emotion and there's so much you know, that's going on. But by the time that God calls you home, what we want is for that love to be purified and perfected. And, and so to, to grow in, in love that way so that, that it is, you're, you're ready for, for heaven. And that's going to require, again, that what we talked about earlier, dying to self in order to live for the other. That's a lot of work. That means when you come home, you can't just sit back, kick back and do nothing. It still means now I need to put this other person first and, and to serve this other person and of course, you have kids to serve them as well. And, and so, so it's, again, it's the opposite of selfishness. So that's the piece that married people have to always be looking at is how do I overcome my own selfishness? How do I love more? How do I serve better? And, and that's, that's a challenge. Yeah, I just heard that from a climacus, uh, St. John Climacus, later divine descent, uh, ascent from English-speaking people. Uh, podcast where Father mentions about the being obedient to your state in life. Mm -hmm. What you were saying reminded me of that. Uh, kids screaming, do you run in? You got to be obedient to that state. It don't matter what how how your job was. Don't take it out on the family. You're right there with them. Help them out. Your wife say if you don't open the door and scream at her about what happened at the office. You, you got to get your mindset ready for that to be obedient to the state of life you're in. Exactly, and I I, I oftentimes would would tell married people that is that again, look how marriage is set up for the couple to become saints. Because if I'm really tired, for instance, or I've had a rough day, and I've got these papers that need to be filled out or whatever, I can say, you know what, I don't feel like it, I'm just going to wait until tomorrow. Okay, that's the duty of my state in life. And I and I just put it off till tomorrow. But you go home and you've got kids who are hungry, you have to feed them or they're going to let you know that they need to be fed. They don't have clothes. You don't feel like doing the laundry? Too bad, you need to do the laundry. Your spouse needs to, somebody to, to, to listen. 
you need to take the time and listen. Everything is set up to be able to break the selfishness in, in our humanness. That's part of sin. Every sin we commit is selfish. And so, so it's all set up that way. So if we can look at the duties of our state in life, the first duty is to the spouse and to, to well, obviously first to God, but then to the spouse, to, to be able to live this out as much as we can and, and to continue to love, live it more and more. So that's exactly what you're talking about is, is uh, that that's what God is looking for, is our obedience to the duties of our state in life. Where's it? Here it is. Here's the book, God's Plan for Your Marriage, Sophia Press. Uh, I have this underneath in the show notes. Check it out. Get it for yourself. Maybe if you're not married, look at it just in case you're thinking about a uh, marriage in your future. Get it for a marriage couple for you. Uh, it's one of those things that people don't, again, like you mentioned, it, it's under attack. We got to keep our minds minds ready for this, how to combat the 100 plus years of planned attacks against it. We're behind the eight ball in a sense, kind of like the last couple of years and everything else. We're Catholics. We're always, mm -hmm. there's a there's a Jocko thing. I use it in a lot of podcasts. Uh, the word, it talks about how military guys, they say, this most terrifying time is when they hear an ordinance being launched and they have no idea where it's going to land. And it's that being on the defense, defensive side all the time. And we're kind of like in the same, but we're always active after the fact something happens. Instead of being on the offensive, we wait until the things are looking terrible and crumbling before we Catholics start. You know what? We need to start fixing things up. Mm -hmm. So, Well, and um, it's, it's interesting, too. I mean, just picking up on that. I remember uh, talking to to a priest. Uh, he was he was a, a college classmate of mine, and I was in the diocese where where he presently is, and it's very good diocese. Uh, and this was a number of years ago, and and I I called him up just to to say hello, and hadn't seen him for well over twenty years, and and he was telling me how wonderful it is to be in that diocese. He can just put his feet up on the desk and, and sit back. He has nothing at all to worry about. And I said, well, what about this or that? And he said, oh, yeah, but at least I don't have this to worry about. And I said, okay, but what about this or that? Well, yeah, but at least I don't have this I have to be concerned about. And after talking to him for a while, I said, you know, I'm so grateful that I called you because you've made me so happy to be in the diocese where I am because I have to stay on my toes all the time. The faith is under attack constantly, and I can't sit back with my feet up on the desk because I get soft. Yes. Well, that's exactly the case now with married people. Your vocation, your sacrament is under attack. You can't sit back and just rest easy because everything is fine and wonderful because it's not. And and so so it's it's time we, we need to step up. We need to stay on our toes. We need to keep pushing forward. And again, if God is calling you to be saints, which is exactly what he's calling you to be, what a perfect way to do it. And I mean, marriage, marriage has always been about saints, but there's never been a time in the history of the church where it is a better time to become a saint than right now, because everything is against us, which means if we're going to be able to grow, we have to go against the current. We have to go upstream. We have to keep pushing forward. And, and so that, you know, if again, it's not easy, but what a great blessing. We live in the, the time in history that is the greatest time ever to become a saint. 
And, and that is a profound grace. And for married people, this is, this is the time. Step up, embrace this cross and live it and show the world how beautiful marriage is and show the world what heaven is going to be. There are a lot of people when they when they think, okay, wait a minute, if, if heaven is a marriage banquet, if marriage on earth is a prefiguration of marriage in heaven, and boy, I look at that marriage or that one, I, I don't want to be in heaven if that's what marriage, what, what heaven is about. It's like, well, show people what heaven is going to be about. It is about love. It is about loving one another. It's about loving God and all the members of the mystical body. That's what people should see within your marriage. And that's what you desire, I assume, in your marriage. And, and so take that seriously. Take up that cross. Yes, the cross looks and feels just like your spouse. That is your cross in life. And, and yet Jesus embraced the cross. He said, I, I, I've longed for this. And he went to the cross out of love for us. And that's why we're saved is because of his love. And so that's what married couples can do for one another. Grow in love, love that person more and more and more. And remember, it's not about, you didn't say, I will love you as long as you love me, or I'll love you as much as you love me. You made a vow and it was absolute. There are, there are no strings attached. And God is going to hold you responsible for how you lived your vows on the day of marriage or on the day of judgment. He's not going to hold you responsible for how well your spouse lived his or her vows, but how you lived yours. So even if your spouse isn't upholding his or her end of the deal, you can still do yours. You can still love that person more and more and understand if that's the case, like we had said earlier, then that person is really helping you to become a saint because you have no choice. You have to be a saint in order to live with that person. It's not the way married couples are supposed to make one another saints, but sometimes it's the way it happens. And, and so, so embrace it, live it, love it, and and become a saint. I couldn't say it any better. I was like, I, I was thinking of that down here in Carolina. We have the motto, keep pounding. Uh, how many times I've used embrace the suck or, or suffer in silence, military slogan. So no, spot on that, that last comment. So, Father, again, here's the book, God's Plan for Your Marriage, the exploration of holy matrimony from Genesis to the wedding feast of the Lamb. Get it at the show notes, uh, sophiapress.com. Again, the link underneath. Father, any final thoughts? Well, I first of all, thank you for, for you know, allowing me to, to be here and talk about this. And secondly, as I said earlier, if you're willing to read this book and, and really try to put it into practice, my belief personally, because it's what happened to me, I really believe this is God's way of trying to come to the aid of marriage. Not trying, this is God's way of coming to the aid of marriage and providing for us some beautiful new insights, like I said, that I've never thought of in my life before. And, and that's what's presented in here for married people. And, and so I really think that this can be of tremendous help to people who are married or preparing for marriage, uh, but especially those who are already married. Well, you can give the, the folks around the planet a uh, special blessing before you go. <laughs> Absolutely. Commending all of you to the Immaculate Heart of the Blessed Virgin Mary and the Sacred Heart of Jesus, the intercession of St. Joseph, protection of St. Michael, the guidance of your guardian angels, the intercession of all your patron saints, 
benedictio Dei omnipotentis patris, et filii et spiritus sancti descendat super vos et maniat semper. Amen. Thank you, Father. Appreciate it. Well, God bless you. Thank you.